Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. By request on The Refuge, our new message board, uh, we had some interest from people to hear what hear from an agent, an agent or manager on the tour to hear what life is like. Uh, as soon as I heard that, there was only one guy I could turn to, uh, the president and owner and founder of the Walter... Uh, what, what's the official name of the agency? Sorry? Wal- Walter Sports Advisory. Walter Sports Advisory. That's Ben Walter himself, uh, an old buddy from college. Uh, we're here to relay a few stories and hear about life on the road. Ben, how we doing? Uh, I, I'm well. Thanks for thanks for having me. I'm I'm very intrigued by what kind of stories you're going to come up with from the past. I don't know if they'll involve involve the the Church Street Bar or the Withrow basketball courts, but uh, <laughs> I'm excited to hear what you have in store for me. We uh, we do know each other from Miami University. Uh, my lasting image of you. So you played. How many years did you play football at Miami? couple years and I kind of classify it as a cup of coffee. Okay. But uh, what my lasting memory of you is you so at Miami, uh the all the players that no longer play for the football team gathered on one flag football team called the Hasbins. Um I'm not sure you were fully aware that you were no longer playing for Miami University. If I remember right, you were arm banded up from basically from head to toe. Uh I think there was eye black involved. Does that sound right? There could have been. I can't. I, I can't confirm nor deny. <laughs> Let's just say you took flag football very, very seriously in college, and that's the lasting image I have of you from college. But uh, going back to the 2010 U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, I'm walking around with my dad. Hey, hang on, though. At, at some point, Uh-oh. we all become we all become has-beens. It's just a matter of of when we realize it, and and when you're still in college and you still have the have the competitive juices flowing. Um, you know what? Sometimes you just gotta, you gotta embrace the role, Sally. Gotta embrace it. I was hope I was trying to slide past it so you wouldn't roast me for anything from the college days. No, no, no. I don't think there's anything. I don't think there's anything too bad, man. I just, uh, great time playing a lot of, a lot of basketball together. Um, uh, and, uh, and uh, hitting up the old uh, the old watering holes there in Oxford, man. I got a lot of really really good memories from there. Well, I wasn't expecting our paths to cross necessarily. You and I weren't like really close friends in college, and we didn't stay in touch after you graduated a year ahead. I did, uh, and we ran into each other at the 2010 U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. I'm walking around with my dad, and I see you like all dressed up, looking there. I'm like, B Walt, like what what are you doing here? So what were you doing at the 2010 U.S. Open at Pebble Beach? Yeah, that was uh man, that was oh, coming up 2019 they're going to be hosting the US Open again. That was I think my I started in 2008, so 8 9 10. Uh I was really in my third year at IMG. Uh and I had started working there on a couple of accounts. They brought me in to support <clears throat> some of their larger accounts and also uh tasked me with building my own portfolio clients and and bringing in some clients um, that we thought fit fit within IMG, and at the time, I think I saw you. I was we were with, um, I think, oh, I was with uh, our old managing director, Guy Kinnings, kind of strolling down the fairways there, and I bumped into you. And I think there was one other person with you. I thought it was my dad um, and our family friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, so I was out there um, watching the first client that I ever signed, and that was was Jason Duffner. Uh, so. He and I, he and I got together at the end of 2008, and off we went from there. So I was watching him play a few holes when I bumped into you out there. So. Well, I remember I, I wasn't nearly as invested in the golf game at that time as I am now, and I remember you saying, "Yeah, I'm representing this guy, Jason Duffner." And I look over and I see this guy with his waggle and and the belly, and I'm like, "Oh." Good, good for you, man. That, that, that sounds great. I wasn't fully invested in the scene. Little we know, a year later, he's playing in a playoff at the PGA Championship. Um, but what is what was your route to be uh, joining IMG? How did you get set up with those guys? Did you know you always wanted to be an agent, or how does that how does that route work? 
Yeah, and it's funny you say that because a year later he's playing in a playoff, and you know a year after that he's knocking down a couple wins, and a year after that he's winning a PGA Championship. It it's kind of amazing. You look back, and you know you hear it a lot, and things go things go so fast, and you know things went so well so fast that you you kind of think that was you know that that was going to be the the norm. You kind of little did you know you know what that guy is doing in his career um, as he's beginning the prime of his career is is just really remarkable. So I was, you know, I was really lucky to get started where I did when I did. I think anybody in this industry, if they don't really classify themselves as someone who's had some really good luck, um, then they better take a, take a hard look in the mirror. So, cause we're all, we're all pretty lucky to be out there doing what we're doing, but yeah, I got, I got started in 2008. Um, I really, I mean, I guess the journey began, you know, 11-ish years before that. Um, I was 11 years old, and I was sick and tired of the $5 allowance my dad gave my brother and I for cutting the grass and doing chores around the house. And I asked him if he would increase our allowance, and he said, no, go get a job. So I said, okay, all right, well, what should we do? He's like, I think you should go caddy down the street. So from there, we would ride our bikes to work every day and go caddy starting when we were 11 years old. And we could barely lug one of those big leather golf bags around the golf course. And Derek and I, my twin brother, ended up doing that for 10 summers. Uh, I got to know some really, really great people up at the, the country club on the east side of Cleveland. And a handful of them worked in the golf group. One of them, um, or a couple of them, were Mr. McCormick, the founder of IMG, um, his right-hand men. So I got to know a guy who was uh, pretty prominent within the golf group and caddied for him on a really regular basis. And as I was getting toward the, you know, or start of my senior year and middle of my senior year, I really started bugging him about a gig at IMG. I said, you know, I'm well cut out for this business. Um, I feel like, you know, I understand, uh, what it means to what it means to compete and you know i was in the meantime i was finishing up my business degree at miami so you know i thought i could marry a couple of my passion points and off i would go and in, in you know my professional career so that was kind of how i got started i banged hard enough i interviewed i went through the rounds there at img and then they hired me in february of 2008 to get started and i went out and off I went working on a few of their key accounts, uh, worked quite a bit for VJ, quite a bit for Camilo. And then, like I said, was tasked with bringing in, um, some other, some other talent into the, uh, into the golf group. So you were, so the that's one kind of a roundabout, no, kind that's... of a roundabout way of getting, getting started, I guess. But you know, it's, you know, I had, I, like I said, I was lucky. I, I knew the right people. I worked my, I worked the network and, and got a really good break. Well, and that's kind of goes back to, you know, the, the phrase of it's not what you know, it's who you know being really important. But I think that can that phrase can kind of get cheapened to being like, you know, you don't you can be an idiot and as long as you know people you'll get whatever you want, versus like you got to know people through a process of hard work and people got to know your character and felt like they knew you to the point where they trusted you eventually with employment. Would you is that how you would define it? Right. Exactly. I mean it's it's you know, I spent a lot, a lot of time up at that place. And, you know, my dad had kind of told me, he said, look, you know, if, if you, if you do the right things up there, if you, if you, you know, kind of do as a caddy does really and show up, keep up, shut up. Um, you're going to meet a lot of really good people up there and you're going to earn people's respect. And at the end of the day, that's, that's really what happened. I mean, I'm, I'm really good friends with a lot of these people up there and I joined the club two or three years after I graduated, um, from Miami. So, uh, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, you gotta, you gotta do the right things. You can't just, you can't just show up and, and know the right people. You gotta, you gotta work the network. So were you tasked specifically with going out and signing somebody like Jason Duffner? Like, did you personally sign him or was he an already an IMG client that you kind of moved over and started managing? No, he was, uh, he didn't have anybody at the time, which is so uncommon these days now out, out on tour. I mean, everybody on the web.com tour these days now has, you know, representation. So I mean, for better or worse, it's a, it's a really, really crowded industry, but at the end of, I got to know Jason through my time with VJ and he and I spent some time together at dinners. I'd go out and watch him play. 
and you know I was working with another guy there at IMG, and we sat down and, and met with Jason at the end of 2008. Uh, it must have been 10 degrees up on the west side of Cleveland at a Courtyard Marriott. We sat down. We had breakfast for about 45 minutes and brought him on board. It was the easiest, painless <laughs> signing I've ever had in, in my career. And you know I had built built some trust with him you know, over, over time. But I mean, I think, you know, anybody who's honest with you is just sometimes you, you don't know what's, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if they're going to pan out or whether they're not. And some of these guys would be the first, first to tell you that. Um, so, you know, off we went from there and, um, grew the, grew the relationship, uh, with him to the point where I'm, I'm still working with him today and we have a great relationship. So what was your official title when you were hired and kind of bridging that maybe a larger question? What is the difference between, say, an agent or a manager? And what would you what do you call yourself? Man, I've, I've been called a lot of bad things, actually. <laughs> so a uh, client manager or agent, it, it's all it's music to my ears. Um, <laughs> so it, it, uh, I guess if, if you want to uh, if you want to describe I guess the difference in the golf world as to what an agent uh, versus a client manager would be. I would classify an agent as a broker or deal maker, um, and I would classify a, an account, or excuse me, a, a client manager as, a, as an account operator, somebody who's going to handle the day-to-day activities on on the account. So, I think. You know, you'll see guys out there who have a, and you hear these guys in their interviews now. They talk about their teams. You know, you might have somebody who's a client manager who's, you know, on site from Tuesday to Saturday or Tuesday to Sunday or Wednesday to Sunday, who's out there handling whatever that player needs them to handle. Some guys are going to be really low maintenance, and some guys are going to be really high maintenance. It really all depends on the player and the account. So that's what I would say as a client manager. And then as an agent, you know, you're, you're the deal maker. You're tasked with really increasing top line revenue on the account um, through sales. That might be endorsements. Um, that might be appearances. That might be licensing, for example. So with you out on your own now, we'll, get, we'll kind of get to how that became uh, came the reality here soon. But I, I, what do you kind of fill both buckets at the moment which, for Jason? Yeah, I, w- I, w- I would say um, uh, I would say a, a jack of jack of all trades. I guess that's like you said. We'll get into it a little later. Uh, that's the beauty of of running my own business is that you know I wear I wear quite a few different hats, um, and that's what makes it really challenging. And that's what makes you know every day uh, really exciting for me too. <laughs> how uh, how quickly did you learn uh, starting out that being an agent wasn't necessarily as glorious as you maybe had imagined? Uh, you, you, you or is have, it glorious? You, you, is you, it glorious? You may have some bad information. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, you know, I really think it's it's turned out to be better than I had imagined um, because of what I had just described. I get pushed and challenged every day um, in every corner of my brain. You know, like I said, I, I function in a variety of roles. It's agency owner, operator, account manager, account planner, marketer, seller. Um, so it's it's a really really dynamic role. I think where where you may have been, I'm not going to say misled by folks, but I I think people get very uh, very siloed in their roles, and that's where it may be not as glorious as, as they want it to be, and that they're doing a lot of a lot of grunt work to start out in the business. And look, you got to do that. I, you know, I draw the parallel with my days as a, as a caddy. There were days I wait three or four hours and I didn't get out and I'd go pick the back range of, of, you know, for another three hours and I got to give you 20 bucks and off we went. But we were, Derek and I knew that we were paying our dues. And so maybe that's where at the start of it, you know, things aren't really great. You have an aggressive travel schedule. You're at the course from dusk till dawn. And it may not seem as glorious as you want to, but, you know, what really is at the start of things? I mean, take a look at these golfers. They go through so many ups and downs. You know, is everything really as glorious as it seems on Sunday when they're hoisting a trophy? You know, absolutely not. There's so much hard work and and patience gets tested that goes into it. So, you know, I'm at a point now where I've, I've put in some time and, 
you know, I think everybody who's successful has to put in, you know, a good chunk of time to get to where they want to be, you know, and where they in a place where, you know, frankly, I, I never imagined myself as a, as a business owner, but here I am and I'm having a blast. Yeah. The more what I was going towards is I, I feel like the more time I spend in the industry, the more I see the non-glorious side of each job. Right. So initially yeah. when I would go to a tournament, see you walk inside the ropes, talk to Ernie Els, talk to KJ Choi. It looks like just the chummiest, easiest job in the world, but you quickly learn. I, 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 like, I love hearing the stories just about all of the hard work that goes in behind the scenes that a lot of people don't see. And that goes for everyone in the industry. Like I, I feel like if you don't work in sports, you look at any job that's in sports as the coolest thing in the world and easy. And it's, it's not work when that's not the reality at all, that there's a ton of work that goes into it. So how, how often are you traveling to events then? Yeah, I, I would say I go to 10 to 12 tour events. Uh, when I launched last year in August, I got out pretty quickly um, because, you know, it was you know important that I be out there scheduling, you know, meetings uh, with the folks around around golf um, and in the markets uh, that we were heading to, you know, on behalf of Jason, because I wanted to get rolling and get some things done for him before the end of the year and, and get him off and running in 2018. So I worked a bit of more bit more of a, an aggressive schedule in at the end of 2018. But I think around a dozen events is is a is a nice, healthy, healthy number to do. And then in addition to that, you know, I'm looking to grow my portfolio. So I'm attending amateur golf events to evaluate some younger talent. So, yeah, I mean, it's, look, if you got, you know, you've kind of lived in that world. And if you're on, you know, and if you're on a consulting project and you're getting up, you know, early every single Monday morning and you're heading out, you're coming back Thursday night. So it's not like under uh, other jobs where it's, it's travel intensive. It's the, it's the way of the world. Callaway Customs is back, and starting today, on this Wednesday, you can personalize new Mac Daddy 4 wedges just like the Tour Pros. For those that aren't familiar, Callaway Customs is the most complete customs program in golf, and for these MD4 wedges, you can customize seven different areas on your wedges. That's the paint fill, the weight medallion colors, you can throw in some custom stamping. Ours are actually being made at this exact moment. I'm getting hashtag Tour Sauce on mine. Tron is getting hashtag LPCP on his and see lax pop and can't play. And uh, I hope he has some better grinds on these wedges than his last one because his chipping has been uh, very, very, it's a topic of uh, sore topics, I guess you may say. Uh, start designing your Mac Daddy 4 wedges now with Callaway Customs at callawaygolf.com slash customs. Now back to our podcast with Ben Walter. So you spent how, how I'm not sure exactly how many years you spent with IMG, but now out onto your own. How different are how different is it? You know, working for a big big organization like IMG and doing your own thing. How different is it? Um, it's it's definitely different. I had a, a great run at IMG, uh, wonderful place with some extraordinary people, some people who you know work to shape you know what golf is is today. Um, I would say when you're working in a large place um things there there's probably some things that you don't feel like are are necessarily worthy of your time and may seem unimportant to you um you know i don't have that clutter today that i may have had in the past you know i get like i said i wear a lot of different hats and i get to decide what to do and i'm prioritizing each day what i need to get done for my clients so my days feel really efficient and really clean because I'm the one who's designed the strategy and the 12 to 24 to 36 month outlook for my business. I'm the one who's implementing the tactics and going out to execute every single day. So the autonomy, the autonomy is great. And you feel like you're getting a lot out of your day, um, you know, because you really believe in what you're doing. So it seems like. Uh, things are trending more towards smaller shops like your own. And some, some players, you know, typically are, are maybe have one of their friends be their manager or rather than being with a large agency. Uh, why do you think that is kind of trending that way? And what is the appeal from the player perspective to kind of have representation like yourself with Jason? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I feel like our business is a deeply personal business and, you know, you kind of hear the old, old tagline, uh, nothing personal, just business. And I'm not saying that doesn't necessarily exist out there. Uh, 
but it's a it's a deeply personal business. I mean, I, I I've talked to to my clients every single day, multiple times uh, per day, and I think clients uh, like that. You know, they don't want to be in a they don't want to be in a model where it's volume oriented and there's a lot of clients and you feel like your manager or your agent might have to perform a juggling act just to get through every single day because you know a lot of times you you don't necessarily know what they're doing you know if you're not checking in on them every day but I'm always texting always talking with my clients if they have ideas or if I have ideas you know there's there's a certain sense of trust that I think it's built pretty quickly because you're communicating so much and it only deepens over time so I think you know, players, whether that's in basketball or baseball or football or golf, you know, they really like that and they really value that. Um, you know, some some guys might see um, the benefits of a really large agency and that they have a large number of resources at their at their disposable at their excuse me at their disposal. And, you know, that's what the pitch was at IMG. You know, I would argue today, and I think the market, that being the players, kind of reflects the thinking that, you know, you don't need a large global apparatus anymore. We got computers, we got phones, heck, we're Skyping right now. You know, everybody everybody can be reached and reach quickly if needed. So how does it typically work when it, on the sponsorship side? Like are sponsors coming to you as the agent and approaching you about potentially sponsoring a player or is it typically you're cold calling or kind of going through a Rolodex trying to find people to uh, sponsor your player? Man, I'd, I'd, lo- I'd love to tell you that I'm picking up the phone all the time because <laughs> I, get asked, I get asked that question. Man, all, all you do is answer the phone. No, no, that's not, that's not all I do. For some of the big guns out there, uh, you know, the, some of the most – I mean – the biggest stars in the, in the game today. Yeah. I mean, their, their, their agents are fielding quite a, quite a few calls and, and they're bidding up price. I mean, when I first got on at IMG, the, the portfolio of players was silly. I mean, these guys would sit in their office and bid up price. They would just be taking calls. You know, today it's a lot different. There's a lot more competition. And I think there's a lot more agents or agencies in the market that have put a lot of downward pressure, you know, on, on the price for some of these guys. So I think it's getting harder and harder to find the sales that you want. And that means that you have to be really active in your outreach. You need to get a sales strategy and you need to be really aggressive in your outreach and your follow-up. So, um, you know, that's what I, I do for my clients, you know, every single day, because you know, at the end of the day, you know, in a, a person in my position, you know, I better have happy clients. I need to have happy clients, Otherwise, my business doesn't exist. So, you know, I wake up every day thinking about, all right, how am I going to go create value for each one of my assets? Are things, do you notice, you kind of touched on it there, but are things trending a certain direct, direction economically? I know I, I, I don't have my, my finger on the pulse in, in, uh, in a complete sense, but kind of seeing and hearing how money is drying up a little bit on like the equipment sponsorship front and that, you know, with Nike falling out of the business, there's a little bit less competition amongst uh, uh, equipment manufacturers with within each other that the players are kind of seeing a dip in the money that's available or the the opportunities that are available through that. Mm-hmm. Do you get a sense of that from an OEM standpoint as well as other parts of the industry? Is that accurate? Yes, yes. The OEM money is not nearly where it was in the past. Uh, and so that puts the onus back on the agent or agencies to create opportunities for their clients. You know, I felt like this was happening for a while. I remember um, a couple deals back 2011, maybe it was 2010, 2011, 2012, just, just monster, monster deals. And I'm, I'm think, kind of thinking to myself, man, is this, this is this is great, but kind of when's it when's it going to end? Right. And you know the the money has definitely dried up a little bit, and so yeah, you have to you have to find the corporate sponsors who are willing to willing to support support your client. So um, yeah, it's it's definitely a, a different landscape. You need to be you know there's like I said there, there's a lot of options out there, and so you need to find a way to differentiate and position your client and explain why he's worth that type of money. What's the most valuable real estate like on a player? Is it the hat? Is it the chess logo? What uh, is that? Does that vary from player to player? Uh, I, I, overall, it's going to be the, the headwear. I, I term that the naming rights or the, the hood on the car. 
Uh, it's by far the most valuable. It's it's what everybody sees on television more clearly. It's the signage is obviously much larger than other other branded spots on on the garment. So the headwears the headwears yeah the most most valuable piece and the most visible. Does Duff? I know he started the year without a hat, hat deal. Does Duff currently have a hat deal? There's 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 no hat deal currently. Um, he moved he moved on from a full line deal with Titleist. He took a look at a couple others, but decided you know that he was going to go his own route. And when he decided that, he said, "Hey, you know what? Let's go have a little fun with this." And I said, "Absolutely, let's do it." So he took a look at. You know, a few creative, uh, creatively designed hats, and so did I, and and so did uh, Jessica's girlfriend, and he decided to put them in play. And I said, "Great, I I really think this is going to generate uh, some substantial buzz and maybe even drive demand for your headwear," and it did. So, but it's also a matter of of getting the value that you want to get in order to uh, in order to make a deal happen there. That's a little different than the official statement you gave me when I reached out for uh, whether or not he had an MLB deal or if the hat was still wide open. If you want me to read it, your statement was he signed a deal with BGW, Ballers and Gangsters Worldwide, where he can wear whatever lid he wants. There you go. There you go. Uh, uh, accurately stated. Accurately stated. How long do so, typical deals last? Like, wh- how long would a hat deal or like a sleeve deal last? Would it be for one season? Is it three year deals? How does that work? Yeah, good, uh, good question. So it, they can they can vary over time. Uh, you know, I think uh, typically you're going to have deals that last from two to three years. I think one year is just a too short a time frame to get something properly activated especially if it's a new company to the space where you know there's some time where they're just like you break in your baseball mitt you know they need to kind of be broken in a little bit too and you know it takes some time for them to uh grow into the relationship and then year two hopefully you're um you're running strong so i like to do anything from two to three years anything beyond that would be you know more than more than ideal i think once you get really established like you see with some of the top top players in our game, you know, they're going to be doing, you know, if I, if I'm, you know, if I'm working for somebody who's top five or top 10, hopefully Jason's back up there again. But right now, you know, I'd be looking at somewhere around five years for one of those guys. Um, so they have, they have, you know, those guys have some staying power and some star power. So, so what do, what do you see as being the most important from a marketing perspective? Like, is it social media following? Is it Q rating? Like, what do, what do sponsors want to see from the, a potential sponsoree? Yeah, I, I, I would say, and these are, these are kind of words that I even use, you know, when if I'm sitting down to talk to a, a prospect, um, whether that be a corporation for one of my clients or whether that be, you know, another golfer that I might be looking to, to get on board. And the two kind of words are just connect. And I think if you're a brand marketer, um, you're looking for a personality. And when I say personality, uh, I think you're looking for somebody who's different and discernible that your brand can really connect to. I think this story has got to be there for the brand. You know, we can get deeply technical on impressions, uh, you know, whether that's TV, digital, social, your engagements, your website clicks, etc if you want. And I think all those metrics are really important. However, you know, at the end of the day, you know, most marketers are looking, you know, to tie their brand story to a player brand story. So I would say, yeah, that's kind of priority one. Um, And then you're going to have, you know, the data, which is, you know, uh, indisputable data that you have to really support why this this is going to work for you. So I think there's, there's two parts to it, but I said that this story has got to fit first and foremost. Right. So yeah, you, you touched on it there. And so do you compile data to show and like exhibit the brand value provided? And also in the, along the same lines, is it, is a deal essentially like set for a fixed amount or are there maybe incentives to say like, look, if he's in the final group of a major, major championship on Sunday and he's going to get this much more exposure, that's worth something. Is that kind of a typical thing that might get built into a deal? Yeah, I mean, you're you're looking to put you you always want to put data behind any any of your asks. You know, they, it needs to be, you know, you're dealing with sophisticated marketers who are mining data, you know, on a daily basis. So you definitely need to have, you know, some data behind behind what you're asking for. 
But I was always curious how, like, you hear, you know, market reports will say so and so got this many dollars worth of exposure because he was on TV for this amount of time. Is mm-hmm. that something? Is that info that you have access to or pay attention to, or is that kind of yeah. a, a bit too much? Uh, you can pay for it, uh, oh, which okay. is which is which is what you do. So you know, if it's if a uh, you know if a car is going around a track in a NASCAR race, or a golfer is coming down the stretch on Sunday of a major championship, you know they're generating you know a lot of what's called earned media, and earned media is going to be you know if their logo is on television for X number of seconds and it's placed in the middle of the screen or maybe it's in the corner of the screen. These companies work to quantify what that means based on what the rate card is for a 30-second spot during one of CBS telecasts or NBC telecasts or ABC telecasts. So they work to come up and define those numbers. Earn Media is, uh, you know, it's an inexact, you know, science. So I don't know, you know, when marketers take a look at that whether they, you know, whether they weight that by three quarters or half of of what the number might actually be. But I think it's this day and age, you know, there's numbers to put against everything. You know, we live in the big data, big data age. So you need to work as best you can to most accurately quantify, you know, what this player's worth because, you know, you're asking for what's going to be a pretty significant chunk of change. How different is it going into a meeting or making a cold call, um, you know, pre-2011 with a guy like Jason Duffner versus after being, I'm sorry, let me say pre-2013 Pre-major championship, post-major championship, how different are those conversations? Uh, Everybody knows who he is. So he's got an established profile and established brand. So the, you get, you know, I, I get a lot more responses than maybe I did five or six years ago because people have a, a certain reverence and understand reverence for him and understand what he's accomplished um, so that doesn't necessarily mean they always have the budgets to back it up, you know, but I think they're always interested when you have somebody like him who, you know, like I classified earlier as, as a personality, he's different and discernible. So people, people know who he is and he's well-established in the, in the space, you know, we're not, you know, he's not a, a player where, okay, you know, we need to build up, you know, sophisticated, you know, really, really well thought out, like well-informed marketing strategy for, because, you know, the guy has a pretty well-established brand in the space. So, you know, they, they, yeah, they, they pick up the calls and they respond and it's just a matter of whether they have the dollars or, or not to commit to it. He's not as active on it anymore as much as, much as he used to be. Um, and you definitely don't seem like the kind of manager or agent that would hover too closely. But he used to be a lot more active on Twitter. Was there ever any, any times that, that you would make you nervous with things that he would say on Twitter? Or how do you view that from a marketing perspective? Damn, I, th- I, I think he's still active. Did you see the spat he had with Brandel? Well, yeah, he he dives in every now and then, but it used to be like he would just. He goes in with two feet when he goes now. He would just live stream his thoughts back in the day. It was awesome. He seems more hesitant to wade in the waters now, but yeah, he does get into it with Brandel. Yeah, stream of of consciousness. Yeah, no, he he definitely jumps in and out. I think, you know, for some guys, is that they they have a platform and, you know, they want to use it and they'll, they'll use it to voice to voice their thoughts or, or to stand up for themselves if, if they're being criticized um, or, you know, really, you know, from a fan's perspective, you know, it, it's great when they're chiming in because those guys have insights or these players who I all kind of, you know, I kind of think these great players, there's a, there's a small piece of genius or maybe for some of them, a big piece of genius, you know, in some corner of their brain. And they have some incredible insights to share with the fan. And I think some of them, keep to themselves and some of them, you know, share them. And I think Twitter's a great platform for that. I think it gets tough to manage. Um, if you're on it, you know, really, really frequently and you're reading a lot of comments, there's you, it can be a time. And then next thing you know, there's an, you, you spend an hour of your day responding to comments or you've responded to something that snowballed into something that you never intended. And now you got to go, you know, play a little damage control. I mean, we've, we've seen it before. So I think, you know, just with that, you know, and it's hard sometimes with Twitter, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to get in the context, 
you know, I think with that, some of these guys are, you know, they're not as freewheeling as they, as they once were. I, I would say that I kind of feel that in general for the guys who are pretty well established in the space that there's maybe not as much freewheeling as there was once before. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, no, I think a lot of people are just kind of myself including realizing that a lot of just things within Twitter and social media space are just not worth it. One, from, yeah. just from a things being misunderstood perspective. And uh, two, when you start to just reach, you know, there's only so many people that, that are following you or that are engaged with you that really get you or understand you or understand your tone or understand that your jokes and it's the, the minority that don't get it that can discourage you from wanting to engage. So uh, and, and along that, that, that line, like what, What's what keeps you up at night, or what's something that you stress about as far as things that could go wrong from your side? One of them being maybe an example like of social media, like anything out there that thinks that makes your job uh, a lot harder that you that you worry about. You know, I nothing with my clients currently really keeps me up at night. You know, I think, like I said before. If you don't have customers, your business doesn't exist. Or if you don't have clients, your business doesn't exist. So you are always focused on retaining your current customers and then expanding, you know, um, expanding the size of your your customer base. And, you know, that obviously I want to keep my clients so happy that they're telling other players about it and they're referring me business. Ultimately, that's I think that's a really, really you know, the strongest way to, to build your business and the most time efficient way for someone like me, because, you know, I'm, I'm just one person to build my business and for me to operate most efficiently. But, you know, I need to spend time, you know, in business development and, and marketing, you know, my business and my services um, to, you know, other talent. And so I would say they say that's the that's the thing. It's like, OK, where where are you growing? Where are you growing next? Where, where, where is the next opportunity for you? And that might not always mean every, op, you know, every opportunity that's out there is for you. And at, in a business my size, I can be really nimble and I'm going to move on the right ones. Uh, but I would say that that is kind of the thing. You're looking for the next right opportunity for your, for your business. I think uh, I can speak for a lot of the listeners and myself included when we had Duff on the pod last May. Uh, one, he was the best example of the No Laying Up podcast bump maybe in history. He won the memorial <laughs> a few days later. Uh, which, uh, by the way, if you guys don't know who Ben is, the video of the dude getting abs- like absolutely whiffing on the fist bump after Duff had won, <laughs> that's who you're hearing right now. We're going to have to – actually, I'm going to put that video in the link to, to, Dang, to this. Hang, you're hanging me, hanging me out to dry here, bro. Come on, I can't make you look too good. It was, um, it was, uh, that was, that was a major league whiff. It was major the best, whiff. and the cameras uh, caught it. It was perfect. It's like I still I go back standing, and watch and it. And I was standing right next to you. I know. I was. I, I managed to duck out of the way, and you just CBS cameras <laughs> caught you perfectly going going for the fist bump and just whiffing. But uh. we were. I was kind of just surprised <laughs> what what Duff's personality was really like, and what uh, kind of. He, he really opened up and shared a lot of things that I've never heard him say before and whatnot. But how easy of a guy is he to work for from your perspective? Really easy. Uh, when, you've, when you've been together that long, you have a very clear understanding of, of what expectations are. And that takes, uh, takes the pressure really out of the relationship. Is that, look, you know, what, you know what he's willing to do and what he's willing to accept. And it's up to me to deliver on those expectations. And so, you know, like when we talk or when we talk every day, you know, I saw him earlier today and we talked for a while and we're doing, we're, we're working a little bit of strategy in terms of how we want to move uh, a piece of open inventory for him. Uh, you know, that's, that's what we're talking about. He's not bothering me with, with nonsense. So, you know, it's, it's really easy and, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, as you, as you saw, I mean, he's, he's a great guy. He can rap. I mean, he can rap with anybody. I mean, he's, he's a pretty sharp guy. And what's, what's your relationship like outside of work? I mean, you guys, I see it on social media. You guys are going to football games and stuff together. I mean, you guys, your relationship is not just from a professional perspective. And, and, and law school lectures apparently now too. So that was actually a lot of, (laughs) that was actually a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, we have, we have a friendship from the time that, you know, I was not at IMG, which is, you know, about a year and a half or two or two years, you know, we've maintained a really close friendship. So, um, 
yeah, it's been it's been good. You know, I've I call him one of my dearest friends. Um, switching switching lanes here a little bit. What's the process like for trying to sign a new client, both from an upcoming player perspective and like a player that may be looking for new representation? Or do they typically reach out to you for that? Are you just you know hunting guys you know when they're at very young ages? What's the process like? You want me to give away my trade secrets? No, I just get the general <laughs> process. Keep, keep it under lock and key. I know it's competitive uh, out there. Yeah, it is competitive. Uh, you know, I think there's there's kind of there's kind of two things that you need to do to sign uh, a top player. Number one, you need to find a way to build trust. However, you want to do that, whatever your style is, whatever your style is, find a way to build trust, build it early, and build it over time. Uh, I think it's integral if you want to sign one of these top young amateur players that you get in early. That would be number one. Number two, got to be aggressive. Repetition is key. So, you know, I, I kind of likened it to, you know, brand recall. You know, you need to be there, you know, watching these kids play, spending time with their parents or the other centers of influence around them. So that's what I would, I mean, and whether it's, you know, whether it's what I do or whether it's, you know, a college football coach, you know, I think they would, they would kind of tell you the same thing, kind of tell you the same thing. I mean, those are two, you know, if you don't have those two things going, you're not going to get who you want. Uh, what's, what's like, uh, what's one of your favorite places to travel to? One of your favorite stops? <sighs> this is going to sound so sentimental. Oh, <laughs> hit me with it. Hit me with it. Uh, Pebble Beach. Okay. I mean, it, it, it's that place. I mean, I mean, it's funny that that's or coincidental that that's a place that we met, dude, walking there in 2010. I don't know if I saw a cloud all week. It was, it was majestic. I mean, I, I, I don't know if there's a better walk out there than, than that one. And, you know, surrounding, uh, Carmel, Carmel by the sea, 17 mile drive. And that, that, that place is, is such a treat. It, it doesn't get any better than that. What's your least favorite? Man, good question. I don't, I don't know, man. I, least favorite to travel to. I don't know if I have like a least favorite PGA Tour stop. I mean, think about all the markets. They're all, they're all pretty good. I don't know if I have like a least favorite. I don't know if I can pinpoint one. Maybe, maybe some. I mean, and I'm trying to think. You know, I, I haven't. Luckily, I haven't had a real. You know, some people have some crazy travel stories. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily one of those people. I, I, I would say I can't pinpoint any particular one domestically. I can't say I'm in love with traveling over to China. Okay. That's a fair It one. is. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think you went. There's, I did not, no. Uh, man, there's a lot of traffic, a lot of people, a lot of smog. I just kind of felt overall just unhealthy when I was over there. It was, I mean, it was far from enjoyable. I've, <laughs> so I'm I would yet classify to find, that as my least enjoyable. I've yet to find anybody that said a good thing about the, about playing over there. So I just yeah. remember in in summer of 2012 running into you at, in Silvis, Illinois, on like a like a smoking hot Thursday afternoon for oh. John Deere, and being like. Yeah, like these guys, these guys work hard, and you always got to wear pants too. Like there's some, oh, there's probably some... wearing wool slacks too. Oh yeah, you're you out on the grind out there. Um, I think I was watching. I think I might have. You, yeah, it's still. I mean, Silvis gets hot. I think I was watching Jamie Lovemark play when we were in really hot pursuit of him. <laughs> there was yeah, another uh, another young player you were in very hot pursuit of at that time. I don't know if you're willing to share that as well, but. Do you remember who that would have been? He would have been an amateur at the time. I think Jamie was an amateur. Would uh, go ahead, hit. I mean, hit Spieth. me with it. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay, so okay, it was a year or two later then. Yeah. Oh okay, was, maybe um, it was. That was um, maybe it's thirteen. Jamie might have been. Yeah, but J- or yeah, um, yeah, man. That was a really really competitive recruitment. I mean, there, there, there you go. Um, that's the perfect example. Jay did a really good job of, of getting in there early, building trust and um, being, um, being there when Jordan played and, and building a really good relationship with his, with his parents. So, you know, he was in, Jordan's obviously from Dallas. Jay, I believe, was in, in Dallas. And, you know, he, 
he did a really nice job to sign him. I mean, that was a crazy competitive recruitment. I was still at IMG at the time. Remember, you know, we had, you know, we had the biggest hitters from our corporate office, you know, going down there, much like I'm sure other agencies did, you know, going down there to going down there to meet with them. So did you feel close <laughs> on that one? Ah, you know, anytime you put in that much time or effort, um, and those people are willing to give you their time like that, I think you always feel close. Um, do you ever really know at the end of the day, how close you were? You know, not really. Uh, you know, I'm sure the other agencies at the time, uh, whoever else was in the mix, you know, also felt, you know, maybe that they were going to get the nod or, or maybe that they were, they were close. Um, but I mean, my short answer would be, yeah, I think we felt close. I mean, I've never talked to Jordan about it. Um, probably, probably never will. And he probably already forgot about it. Um, so, so, but yeah, I mean, those are, there's a couple, couple, you know, ones where you think you're in really good position and, and, it, and look, it's, it happens to everybody. Um, you know, we just watched on national signing day and it happens, you know, for the entire, entire public to see, you know, who got close and who didn't. And, uh, you know, for, fortunately, you know, it's not quite as, pu- you know, it's really not even close to quite as public as that, but yeah, I mean, there's some, you feel like you're going to get across the finish line. You feel good about it and whoop, they go a different direction. So, so you just gotta, yeah, dude, it's, it's, it's part of the business, man. You're going to win some, you're going to lose some. And in the recruiting, in the recruiting business, it's, it's much like anything else. I mean, you saw, probably saw Nick Foles comment after the game about his, you know, about, about failures. And it's the same thing. You, you, you try to learn as much as you can from those recruitments about, you know, what you can tweak in your strategy or how you staff the recruitment or who you bring into the mix or who you don't bring into the mix, you know, going forward. I mean, there's just so many, so many tentacles to, to recruitment. I mean, it's a real adrenaline rush. Let me tell you that, you know, but it's tough. No doubt. Hmm. What's different about PGA tour life than the general perception most fans likely have of it? Like my life or just life on the tour? Life on the tour in general. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a job. Uh, and this is, you know, they're, they might be playing golf and it might be a hobby to a lot of us, but it's their place of, of biz- tour stops are their place of business and that's their place of business for the week. And they are their own business. So, you know, I think some fans, you know, probably just think, hey, man, you know, these guys are are entertainers and, um, you know, what, you know, what they're going country club to country club. But, you know, they don't they don't at all view, I, I think, for the most part, you know, a lot of guys don't really view it that way. You know, it's their job and they're going out there to do what they need to do to earn. I mean, you've heard it probably from a lot of guys on your pod. Nothing out there is guaranteed. I mean, that's, just a, you know, guys who are sitting, you know, at the end of an NBA bench might be making five, six, seven, eight million dollars. Who knows? You know, it doesn't matter. J.R. Smith is he hasn't played a lot for the Cavs this year. He's still collecting on that big contract. They ain't going anywhere. So but these guys, they got to go out and earn every single week. So, I mean, it it's a grind. I mean, you hear these stories. We can look at a guy like Ted Potter. What a perfect example. Yeah. Toiled on the mini tour. At, and then he works his way up and then, you know, he wins a tour event and, you know, gets to whatever he is in the world. And you think he's going to take off and breaks his ankle and down and out he goes for the next five years. And then he's back. I mean, good, for, really good for him. He's back on top. But that's what I would say is that you the the, the fans see the guys or, or folks who, who go to the tour stop, see the guys at the top of the game. And, you know, that's that's I think the generally accepted view is that that's what it's like to be on the PJ tour. But in reality, it's, it's far different. Last one. We'll get you out of here. You, you know, a lot of the guys out there with as much experience you have, who's somebody that's like sneaky, way cooler than somebody might think that by watching on TV. Sneaky, cool or sneaky, just like a funny guy or like one of your favorite guys that you, that we might not think is the case. Oh man. Um, wow. I, I, who tough one to end on. It, it's a tough one to end on. Uh, I don't know who I would say is like really, really sneaky, cool or really sneaky. Like, 
I don't know. Throw another one at me, Sally. I can't oh. get you a good answer on that. All right. Well, I, I just, got anything else for me? I did have one last one. It's like, what do you do? You are you <laughs> responsible for like booking flights, hotels, and all that stuff for your players? Oh, such a dud ending question. I know. I uh, I didn't. Wa- I had a good one. You couldn't answer it. I, I, yeah, I can't give you a great answer on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, there's there's a little bit of administrative work that I do, but. It, Dude, the PGA Tour is set up in a way where they have an in-house uh, travel office uh, or travel agency, and you know all you got to do. I get a text, I get a call, I just dial them up, and bang, it's done. Takes no part of my day. I mean, it takes seconds off my day, which I'm not. I'm not worried about that. So it means on most accounts, you know, usually there's some type of administrator. Um, I don't have one currently. I'll, I'll likely add somebody who can take care of that stuff once once I begin to add in some more clients. Uh, but hey, that stuff is that stuff's so easy to stay at age. That All right, doesn't take doesn't take any time. I'll give you a good decent last one for anyone out there listening that wants to become an agent. What's Ben <laughs> Walters' lasting advice? Um, my lasting advice is I, I and I think to really bring it full circle is work the network. Uh, there's not any real linear plan uh, to to becoming quote unquote becoming an agent. It's not like there's a path at a, another service firm like an accounting or or a law firm where you progress through certain levels, programs, certifications, and then all of a sudden, you know, 15 or 20 years later, you're, you, you become a partner. Um, you know, I, I think it's, like I said, going back to the recruitment comment too, it's relationships are relationships are integral. If you have, you know, a relationship with somebody who's, who's got a lot of talent and you want to get into the game, that that's one way to, one way to get into the game. Um, you know, but if you're on the outside looking in and you want to get in the golf space or you want to get into the football space or the baseball space, Work that network, ask for introductions, ask for referrals, and do all you can to try and get in front of some of the people who are who are in the business. There's no, you know, there's no silver bullet to say this is the way you're gonna get into the business. Like I said at the start of the conversation, you know, I got lucky. That's a good bookend, man. That was good. I enjoyed it. So we'll let you go on that. B Walt, thanks for the time. Best of luck. Yeah, man. With the coming good season. Up. We'll be uh Seeing plenty of each other, I think, in the coming months, and uh, look yes, forward sir. to it. All right, man. Thanks for having me. You bet. Cheers, man. Take care. See ya. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect any.